Well, he's jealous when you say absolutely the best. He wants to be included, and that, of course, is the one, the only, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How you doing this morning? I am fantabulous. How in the world is Dr. History? I'm doing great, doing great. Just up here in Boise visiting my daughter, and so I'm a little ways away from you today. Well, now take her to lunch. That'll probably happen, I'm sure. Okay. Well, now, uh, tell me, every week you get bigger and better with your stories, and we're being listened to all over the globe right now in, what, about uh, 60 foreign countries? And uh, tell us a little bit real quick about dr-history.com. Well, we're actually uh, in about, like you said, about 55 to 60 countries uh, worldwide, uh, over 70,000 hits on our webpage, and uh, so just seems to grow every, every week a little more. All right. And uh, what is the bill of fare for today? Well, before I get started, I just got to give a plug. This Friday night at 7 o'clock at the King Fine Arts Center, the Magic Philharmonic have asked me to give a little blurb about the writing of our national anthem, Okay. at which point they are going to play the national anthem. So it's somewhat of a, uh, a uh, patriotic program. This Friday night, uh, my brother happens to be the conductor of the Philharmonic this Friday night. So just a plug, uh, if you want some excellent entertainment. Friday night at the King Fine Arts. Is he the same brother that studied underneath the great Leonard Bernstein and really learned how to wave that baton in the air? Oh, he does better than Leonard. Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> He's really good. He really is. What's his name? His name's Roger. He's a band teacher out at Declo, and he is... I'm not prejudiced, but he's the best band teacher in Idaho. And he's got the electronic baton. He's got it. He's got the moves. <laughs> okay. All right, sir. So, who, who are we going to talk about today? All right. We're going to talk about mountain men, medicine, uh, or uh, hunting knife surgeons. That's oh. another term for these guys. Okay. And uh, so I hope our stomachs are a little bit strong today. Oh, boy. Uh, as I get into this, but... Immediately after uh, the Lewis and Clark expedition was completed in 1806, great numbers of trappers and fur traders began to come to the distant plains and mountains in what is now Idaho, Montana, Utah, Wyoming, and, you know, out here, even down into the southwest. But the creeks that drained into the Madison, the Jefferson, and the Gallatin Rivers had a huge amount of furs. That was really the kind of the gold mine of fur trapping, if you want to call it. But with beaver hats in style in the metropolitan centers of the world, great profits were expected for trappers and traders. In 1830, beaver pelts were selling for $6 per pound in St. Louis, and each adult pelt weighed about two pounds. So, if you do the math, in a good season, two partners might trap as many as 1,000 beavers, Mm. and by the standard of the times, became rich men. In other words, $12,000... Between the two of them, six thousand dollars each sure. for one season. Yeah. Now, back in that time, eighteen thirty, you know, six thousand dollars was a pretty healthy sum. Absolutely. So, in addition to its promise of wealth, the West was 
the setting of, you know, colorful legends of noble adventure men such as, uh, oh, John Coulter, Manuel Lisa, Jim Bridger, Hugh Glass, Jed Smith, William Sublett. And these guys, you know, they had exciting lives. And as the stories were told, people would hear these stories and they'd think, boy, we got to head west. So this was kind of uh, an invitation when they heard these great adventure stories. So some men prepared and maybe not so prepared headed west. But, uh, you know, it's doubtful that anyone gave much thought to the health or the welfare of these adventurers. Uh, neither the men themselves uh, uh, really thought much about their health issues. Mm-hmm. Now, each person chose his own trail and could not foresee how his passage would proceed, and survival depended on the weather, the Indians, uh, and a lot of other unpredictable factors. Now, every man was expected to travel light, live off the land, and look out for himself. So the trapper's fixings, or bare essentials, if you want to call it that, uh, left no room for really for medical supplies. So the typical outfit included a powder horn, a sack of musket balls, a flintlock pistol, a 50 caliber gun, a knife with an 8 or 10 inch blade sharpened to the hilt, and a leather sack that contained an all extra flints, uh, some extra powder, and maybe some tobacco, some sugar, some coffee. Uh, but the trapper supplemented his provisions at the annual rendezvous, where liquor was the most popular item for sale. Mm-hmm. And as we've talked before, alcohol was kind of the trapper's uh, overall panacea for medical problems. Absolutely. So it was the only anesthetic available, and most illnesses responded to alcohol. It was Obamacare uh, in a bottle. That's right. (laughs) Medicine in a bottle. Uh, I don't know if they just uh, drank enough to where when they woke up they were either dead or better. I don't know. But uh, whiskey was used in conjunction with sweat baths, herbal remedies, and many other treatments. And in addition, uh, coal oil was highly prized as a liniment and bear grease. Bear grease was actually used uh, on wounds. Oh, they would just put it all over uh-huh. uh, to cure all kinds of things. And sometimes they'd take it internally to kind of help with sluggish bowels. Uh, it, I imagine it worked pretty well. I'll tell you, they had the screaming hurry-ups for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the mountain men remedies uh, were copied uh, from a lot of the Indian cultures. That's uh-huh. where they, they got some of their things. But okay. You know, most trappers trappers camped alone or in small groups, except during the the really bitter cold winters, and uh, they were kind of nomadic, so they were seldom exposed to uh, infectious disease. I mean, think about it. Back then, the rivers and the streams were clean. They weren't contaminated with cholera or typhoid, uh, but the risk of injury or death uh, from exposure, violence, and accidents uh, was high. Yep. Uh, You know, as I mentioned uh, a week or two ago about James Ohio Patty, out of 116 men that accompanied him into the Southwest, only 16 survived after a few years. Wow. And, of course, there were exceptions, of course, like old Jim Bridger. You know, he lived to be 77 years old, which was uh, pretty unusual for back then. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, back then, again, uh, the Indian tribes, they weren't too happy with all these guys coming out. And just an endless stream of strangers coming into their midst and... Uh, so a lot of uh, uh, unlucky or unwary trappers lost their lives uh, to the Indians. But it's also interesting how often the natives, how often the Indians actually would help people. Uh, there was a trapper by the name of Potts, and when he was in the Wind River Valley, he became separated from his companions and 
froze his feet, he was unable to travel. Oh, boy. And he was rescued by some friendly Indians. Mm-hmm. Well, the Indians knew a lot of times better how to handle things in, in the climate because that's, of course, where they lived. But along with other dangers, uh, the frontiersmen encountered a lot of ferocious bears. Now, one early trapper, a guy by the name of George Yount, said he sometimes killed five or six bears a day and sighted as many as 60 in 24 hours. Holy smokes. Now, you think about going up into Yellowstone and, uh, you know, you never see a bear anymore hardly up there. Yeah. So, anyway, in Jedediah Smith's famous uh, grizzly story, after being badly mutilated, he talked a young companion through the procedure of sewing up his extensive scalp lacerations and replacing one of his ears. Uh, I don't know if he got him even or not. Uh, what you undoubtedly, s- the first recorded plastic surgery in the West afterward, uh, you know, he Smith got back on his horse and rode to camp. Absolutely. So... Anyway, another legendary story was that, which I've told before, is of Hugh Glass, who was mauled by a grizzly, but managed to kill it with his hunting knife. And this was the guy that a day or two later, they thought he would die, and he was left uh, with uh, Jim Bridger and another guy. And they thought, sure, he was going to die, but uh, they took off and left him. And, uh, but that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Okay. But uh, anyway, exposure to these extreme weather, the bear attacks, other dangers uh, regularly threatened the trappers. And the most serious injuries that they had were usually gunshot and arrow wounds. Really? In fact, uh, one guy says he met a trapper who had, um, in his chest, he had six scars from bullets and arrows. One of his arms had been broken by a shot, and one of his knees shattered. But uh, that was just uh, common for trappers to have all these old wounds. Uh, one old timer described uh, how his partner, a guy named Dick, uh, survived an attack by the Pawnee Indians. He said Dick was as full of arrows as a porcupine. One was sticking right through his cheek. One in his, and he calls it his meat bag. Now, I'm not sure what that means. Hmm. And two more coming out of his hump ribs. Oh. And he says, I took them all out, and away we went to camp. Uh, so this- I don't think we'll pursue that one location. I'm not sure where that was, but uh, anyway. But, you know, not all wounds were inflicted by hostile Indians. I mean, trappers were a rough bunch. They were ready to fight among themselves. And the often told tale of frontiersman Mike Fink and his friend Carpenter kind of illustrates this point. Well, Fink and Carpenter often demonstrated their courage or their marksmanship or their maybe stupidity uh, at, at trust by shooting tin cans full of whiskey off each other's head. Oh, my. Well, when during this dangerous game, uh, Fink accidentally shot Carpenter between the eyes, well, he claimed it was an accident, uh, but the two had recently been battling uh, over the affections of a uh, young lady, and uh, Fink had lost the contest. Well, another friend of Carpenter's uh, accused Fink of murder on the spot and shot him dead, so... That was the end of those two guys. Mm-hmm. Well, in addition, accidents involving firearms occurred frequently. There was a guy named Andrew Brodus. Uh, his forearm was shattered when the gun he was pulling from his wagon went off. Well, at first he refused amputation, and the only treatment, which was the only treatment to prevent gangrene. Yeah. Well, as this mangled uh, arm just got worse and worse, the stubborn man finally relented and. Lucky, luckily for him, uh, Kit Carson happened to be along. 
And he was the youngest person in the group, but he was confident um, beyond his years. Well, he volunteered to do the surgery. So he wetted his skinny knife, uh, found a saw, and prepared a hot fire to heat the searing tool for the stump and removed the mutilated arm. And oh. within days, the stump was healed. Oh, my goodness that sakes. Kit Carson. But, uh, and then they found out. Then they found. So when trappers needed medical care, it was often self-administered or administered by untrained companions. And, in fact, another guy, uh, after he was struck by an Indian bullet, uh, Peg Leg Smith, a frontiersman in Missouri, he amputated his own leg oh using a bullet mold as a hemostat, his razor-sharp hunting knife, and a tomahawk to chop the bones. Smith's only anesthesia was a few cups of liquor known as Taos Lightning. Ooh. So he amputated his own leg, and I guess that's where he picked up the name Peg Leg. Well, so, yeah. Now, and then... uh, in 1838, Osborne Russell. Uh, he was an early frontier trapper and later a judge and a cattleman, and uh, he also doctored his own wounds. Uh, he was camped uh, with a few friends near Yellowstone Lake uh, when the party was attacked by Blackfeet Indians, and Russell was hit with two arrows, which he immediately pulled out and managed to escape. And he wrote, My leg was very much swelled and painful, but I managed to get along slowly on crutches. And later he, he said if he bathed the wounds in salt water and made a salve out of beaver oil and castororium. And he says it eased the pain and drew out the swelling. And, of course, he survived uh, his years as a trapper and lived a long life. Uh-huh. Now, Osborne Russell, uh, again, this is another story. He was the guy that was involved in that uh, naked mountain man story that I told a long time ago. Oh, my gosh. I thought you'd forgot about that. No, no, no. He's... So, uh, you know, we might have to retell that story one of these days. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. okay. Well, yeah. anyway, as self-reliant as the mountain men were, their survival often depended on one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the biography of Jed Smith, uh, Smith's fellow trapper saved his life twice. Uh, a grizzly had mangled his thigh and would have killed him if his ca- companions hadn't come to his rescue. Uh, but he would survive, and within days would be planning another adventure. But there were no trained doctors in the wilderness, and few mountain men passed as doctors. But as I mentioned earlier, Kit Carson was one of the best hunting knife surgeons in the West. Well, Carson taught others how to extract an arrow, and sometimes it was necessary to push it through and cut it off, cut off the head. Now, if this couldn't be done, and only the shaft was removed, and the arrowhead was left to be cut out later, and other frontiersmen also became pretty good at removing arrows or bullets from their companions. I see. Uh, Butchered out might, might be a better term I for that, rather than surgically removed. Sure. But most of the time, the mountain men used good judgment in knowing which arrows to take out and which to leave. Uh, many of them knew something that a lot of doctors didn't know back at that time. Uh, in, in fact, uh, except in very superficial wounds, it's far better to leave the foreign body where it is rather than destroy tissue and produce additional hemorrhage and possibly introduce infection. So the trapper surgeon also understood, as did the Indians, that opening and draining penetrating wounds was required to prevent infection from developing. So uh-huh. Anyway, in addition to his surgical skills, Kit Carson had remedies for other things like for lice infections, which were common. Carson, here's what he did. He tossed his clothes onto an anthill, and while the ants feasted on the lice, he washed the miserable bugs off his body in a stream. And he threw the ants were done, and he was done. He had clean clothes to put on. Well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop. Uh, he took his clothes off, 
and threw them on an anthill, and the ants ate all the lice, and then he put them back on again and wore them for another six months? Yeah, six months a year. You know, it just depends on when the lice got bad enough, I guess. Oh! <laughs> so, anyway, uh, there was one guy, his name was Hamilton, had no medical training, but he was so good that mountain men would try to search him out, and, in fact, some of the Indians even preferred him over their own medicine men occasionally. Really? So, but the first recorded surgical procedure in the West was actually the removal of an arrow. Uh, there was a Spanish explorer who had survived the shipwreck off the Texas coast in 1528, and he and some of his uh, companions were taken prisoners by the Indians, but his journal records the operation as follows. He said, here they brought a man to me and said that a long time ago he had been wounded with an arrow through the right shoulder, and the arrowhead was lodged over the heart. Oh, my. Okay, so this guy, he says, I opened his chest. I continued to cut with great difficulty. I finally extracted the arrowhead. Oh. He said he bled profusely all over him, and he, he took strands of animal hair and sutured this guy up. And he said, when it healed up, you could not even see the crease where he'd done the surgery. Now, wait a minute. This guy didn't have any... 1528. Yeah, but he didn't have any anesthetic or anything. No, no, no. Now, that was 1528. Uh, I'm, they may have had some of that house uh, lightning uh, <laughs> to drink beforehand. Holy smokes. Or they just held him down real well, I don't know. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, but another famous tale of frontier surgery, surgery involved Jim Bridger. Uh-huh. Um, he had two Blackfeet arrows in his back in 1832, and his friend Tom Fitzpatrick was able to pull one of them free, but the other was too stuck. It was too deep. Yeah. And so it stayed in there uh, uh, for a long time. It stayed in place until they got to a trapper's rendezvous on the Green River in 1835. So this was three years later. Oh, my. But it so, so happened that Dr. Marcus Whitman, who was a physician and missionary, happened to be visiting the rendezvous uh, encampment at that time. And with difficulty and without any anesthesia, Whitman took the arrowhead from Bridger's back, cut it out. Wow. So Dr. Whitman, he was kept busy throughout the rest of the rendezvous, extracting arrowheads and bullets from other trappers and Indians. So that kind of uh, sealed his reputation right there. But, uh, you know, some mountain men's uh, survival bordered on the miraculous. Uh, you know, according to the stories, many injuries were bad. They were contaminated. And, of course, we don't know how many of these guys died. A lot of them, you know, they were off on by themselves and get thrown off their horse, get a broken leg, a broken arm, uh, accidentally shoot themselves, accidentally cut themselves uh, with their knife uh, and, you know, never to be heard or found or again. Oh, my goodness. You know, one word sums it up. Tough. What's that? Tough. What's that? I've told you. you listen real clear. I'm going to say it again. Tough. Oh, yes. <laughs> they were tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially if they didn't have any alcohol to kind of help ease the pain of whatever they were going through. Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you, all those surgeries. You know, you really do not hear about all the people that they might have tried to operate on, per se, that didn't make it. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's no stories to say, yeah, we tried to cut that arrowhead out of that guy, but he died. 
Well, listen, you go have a wonderful lunch with your daughter and enjoy the day, and we'll look forward to having you back down here next week. Uh, thank you for a very, very good story this morning. All right, you have a good day. Now, wait a minute. Before you go, tell yeah. everybody about dr-history.com. And, uh, dr-history.com. And, you know, I was looking at our stats last night, and there is still nobody in Wyoming that has listened to our story. Wyoming? Why, why Wyoming, I wonder? I don't know. We've got the whole western United States except Wyoming. Well... We've sure, got to change that. Somebody in Wyoming. Absolutely. I'll go to work there's on it this there's afternoon. There's people over there. Yep. All right, Doc. I appreciate it. God bless you. Have a super day. All right. Thank you. Doctor-history.com. And I'll have to call some of my friends over in Wyoming. Of all the states and all the countries, I wonder how come Wyoming. Have to check that out.